Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations with artists, I invite you to come visit David's Werner Gallery exhibitions in person. We're located in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, and Hong Kong. New exhibitions open each month. Plan your visit at davidswerner.com. What's up, beautiful people? This is John Gray of Ghetto Gastro in the building. I like to think of myself as a social sculptor, entrepreneur, and my most important title is a dishwasher. And I recently got promoted to underwater ceramic technician. And sometimes we touch porcelain and silverware too, you know, when we get lucky. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. The reason why Ghetto Gastro works for someone like me is because I have so many varied interests. And I just needed the project that all of my interests could live under, right? So when you think about art, design, socio-political matters, Black power, community matters, like these things all exist within the realm of Ghetto Gastro. I'm Helen Molesworth, your host for this season. Every episode features a conversation with artists, curators, writers, designers, philosophers, filmmakers, and musicians about what it means to make things today. Hey everyone, it's Helen. In this episode, I'm speaking with John Gray, a co-founding member of the culinary collective Ghetto Gastro. I first encountered John slinging food at a Michelle LaMay opening in Los Angeles. What can I say? I was immediately hooked. Ghetto Gastro has carved new paths in food, design, community building, and most recently, books. With the debut last fall of the cookbook come manifesto, Black Power Kitchen. John Gray himself embodies the true ethos of an artist, redrawing the lines around genres and disciplines to expand what food can do for the culture. And we're both kids from the boroughs. Here we go. Helen, what's up? Oh, John, I'm so happy to see you, man. You're a sight for sore eyes. Uh, um, Long way from that Heathrow Airport en route to Venice from LA. It's true. The last time I saw you, we were both in that weird space-time travel continuum where time and well, where just time is very elastic. And I remember the first time I met you, I didn't know anything about Ghetto Gastro. I didn't know about you guys and your project, but I had been, you know, per peripherally involved with an exhibition that Michelle LaMay had done. And she had uh, insisted that you guys be the, the, the cooks for the event. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. That's what the artist wants. That's what the artist gets. And at the time, <laughs> I, it, I can't front. I thought it was a little crazy. I was like, we're in LA. Like there's some of the best cooks in the world live in this city. Like we, and, but there you guys were. And I love kitchen work. I love it. And you ha you guys were putting out bread, man. It was an epic spread. And I know from being in and around kitchens, I knew the amount of labor that was involved in that spread. But the vibe in the kitchen was not like any other kitchen vibe. It wasn't the like, oh, shit, service is starting now. These people are in the room, like hustle, hustle, hustle. It was just this kind of like, here we go party's about to start this food's gonna be amazing like 
your whole jam. And I remember talking to you through the transom window, the service window, <laughs> just being like, who are you guys? This is incredible. So, so. No, that was a, that was a good yeah. time. And shout, shout out to Michelle. I was just with her at the Chateau talking about uh-huh. our next project, which we'll, we'll oh. be doing some stuff in a couple of months. But yeah, I think, I think with us and, and, and we, like us and Michelle at that time, we were like freaking frack. We were doing mm. things in Paris, London. We did the thing in LA and it was just about the energy because I don't know if you knew, but in addition to the food, like we also did the DJ. Like, so it was like really the whole, the whole vibe and invited a bunch of people. So like just being able to have those worlds merge, like for us, we're really storytellers and food is Mm. the medium that, that we choose to use it. And like you said, yeah, with us, it's, it's, it's probably like a little bit, it's very serious and we're like serious about delivering and putting things out on time. But that particular evening, like that, you, you know, since you know kitchen work, you know that wasn't a commercial kitchen. <laughs> you, you know, it's a very good kitchen for an office space, right? Yeah, Because exactly. we had the cro- a Chrome Hearts warehouse, but it's pretty much a home kitchen and a big warehouse right. with right. like eight, eight burners instead of, but you know, and those type of things, oven space is the most important. Right. You know, not you're not using gas to cook often. So for us, it was like we just wanted to turn out whenever we're working with Michelle. Also met um, Miriam Ben Salah, another uh-huh. great friend right. in the art world who has like opened up portals for me and, and worlds and things. Um, but yeah, like like we just give it up. How like we show up how we how we show up and we have fun. It's like like, like we don't ha- it's not like a client. It's not like a service relationship. It's like, yo, right. we're all just doing this together. Let, let's have a good time. So how did you get to it, John? Like, why did you end up in food? You know, because you could do anything. You could you could tell any kind of story you want in any format. I'm I'm convinced of that about you. You have the polymath is written all over you. So why food? I'll tell you, um, I have no choice. I had no choice but to, to end up where I ended up. And it starts where you started. With a decision, I had the McDonald's crossroads, right? I was 14 or 15. I got my working papers. It's a, I lived by a mall called Bay Plaza. And I was like, All right, I want to get a job. I remember asking my grandmother who lived down the hall from me for some money. She said no, which was not normal. Went to my mother, asked her for a couple of dollars, something like maybe two, three dollars, like for just some snacks or a slice of pizza. Um, and she said, no, you got to get some You got to earn money. And at the time, I wasn't doing great in school. I was kind of got kicked out of Catholic school. So I wasn't doing anything to like, I didn't, I, I wasn't entitled to their right. money. Like they were giving me, you know, food, clothes, and shelter. If I wanted a beef patty with cheese when my mom had dinner, <laughs> like, cause she was vegan at the time. So I wasn't really jacking, jacking that raw vegan stuff. I was like, you sprouting beans and shit. Like what the, what's going on? So long story short, I'm like, I bet I'm gonna get some money that I had, I had um, applied to all of the, all of the job, all of the like Applebee's, Foot Locker, every spot in Bay Plaza I applied to, and they were all, they hit me with like the DMV thing. It's like, and you're like, why do I need ID to get ID? Like, if I had ID, I wouldn't need ID. They're like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, you need experience. I'm like, I'm here to gain that experience. What's up? I'm ready to work. Like, and I can't, like, because I had the Catholic school decorum, like, even though I was in, I came through with the khakis, press shirt. I know how to speak properly and whatnot, you know, like, quote unquote mm-hmm. properly. They were like, I got denied. And I'm like, damn, like nobody's gonna let me eat. And 
the one place that would hire me was a McDonald's. And I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to come home smelling like those fries. I'm not. And I just know how rude people are to like the workers at McDonald's, like in the Bronx. I'm like, I nah. And then I, I chose to start selling weed. Like I went, ended up going one summer to my brother's crib up in Massachusetts. He was hustling a mile a minute. And I was inspired. I knew my basketball, my athletic career wasn't going anywhere because I got kicked out of the school that had the great basketball program. I was now in my zone school, which was Truman High School, had happened to be the worst school in the city at the time. So it was crazy. Like, it was just a crazy time. 2001, 9-11 happened. Mm. It was either a week before or after 9-11 happened. A friend of mine got shot in the face right next to me over Mm. over some shit I did. He lived. He lived. But... So so the world was just kind of collapsing around me. And I decided like, yo, I'm in this, like, I'm going to get this paper. And also in public school, you got to be fresh. Like in Catholic school, you wear a uniform. Right. Like you, right. you you just oh, get the wow. wallabies. Yeah. You keep a fresh pair of wallabies, maybe some some t- Timberlands and some Eastland. But in, 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 in public school, you got to, you need a new fit every day. You know, wow. like, oh, it never like heard, that never, I never even thought yeah. about that. And, and this is the urban environment. So the fits is like, like, that's like social capital when it comes to your love life, like coming of age, hormones, all of that. Like you got to get fresh, right. you know? So right. I decided to start selling weed. I did, I did good in that. And I'm a fast forward. Like, so from, from 15 to 20, I became a very successful drug dealer, made a lot of money. I have a whole nother legend attached to my name before the whole era of John Gray and the arts and in this world. Like I'm a street legend first, right? Cause I was young and I hit, I hit the heights that, that were abnormal for someone of my, my age. Um, caught a case was able to, that, that case kind of pushed me into a direction cause I planned on retiring from the streets before I caught that case. And I, and I was creative and I was like, all right, what's the what's the thing that a creative person does? I was like, oh, you start a clothing line, right? T-shirts, streetwear, like the streetwear thing was a thing. So I started right. that. When I caught my case, I was like, oh, shit, let me like I was facing a lot of time. I was facing 10 to life, which is a crazy mm. idea when you're thinking about just narcotics. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But I um, went to FIT, and this is before YouTube tutorials, and you can look things up like online. So I spent like $1,200 on these books from a bookstore called Fashion Dex, which was across the street from FIT, took night courses there, like had access to the library, went deep into fashion. But the reason I went to fashion was I also saw financial upside. Like it wasn't like I grew up thinking about garments. I didn't even like shopping. Like, I don't like the retail experience. I just like mm. want to go in, go out. Like when I was with my mother, I like objects and I like making things. And I like the idea of taking an idea that exists in your brain and it becoming something that other people can experience, whether it's something they see, mm. taste, feel. And, and I did that for, that's 2008. I started like 2007 to 2010, 11 recession hit like the business wasn't working like we had some small successes we were in bergdorf you know jeffrey's american rag in la you know shout out to your turf but mm-hmm. it just wasn't working financially and it and it was a lot of stops and starts people wanted to invest in 07 but since i had my little bit of bit of paper i didn't i declined the investment like let's build up the value to equity and then take on partnership mm. um, but then then in 2008 after the crash those people had lost 30% of their wealth and retail was suffering. So those checks right. didn't exist and, and, and things just weren't happening. So I just hit a depression. Like 
I was thinking like, damn, because so much of my life was defined. I, I defined my 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 worthiness by my financial security, my financial health. Like that had become my right. identi- identifying thing, right? And I'm like, damn, like I didn't have an adolescence. I really don't know what I like. I had an existential crisis and I'm like, let me just do some digging and, and try to think about what brings me joy. I don't even know what I was good at. Like I know I could sell, right? I know I could put great people together in a room to, to, to cultivate and create an idea, but I didn't really know the, the root of what I liked. And then I thought about, oh shit, it's food. Food is what food is that thing for me. You know, when I, I think about the moments of joy of com- convening communion, um, where I even felt my first bit of confidence, it was around food. Like I used to order, the, I was responsible for ordering the food for the family and friends at like the age of six or seven. And that just affirmed me, you know, which is like mm. probably one of the reasons why I, I feel like I could do anything I put my mind to because I was always given, given like that permission to be great mm. or to make decisions or that I was, I was, I was told that I was amazing and I was a king as a kid growing up. But a lot of that happened because of food, because or around food. So because I'm not a cook and I didn't really want to go to culinary school, I was like, how do we, how do we turn us to reality? And my buddy Les, Les and my partner, I'm in Ghetto Gastro. We grew up on the same block. He was a street dude like me, but happened to go to culinary school. And his little brother, Chad, they're two years apart. Chad was two years older than me. Chad was someone I looked up to. Like when I first moved to the neighborhood, my grandmother was Chad's fourth grade teacher. Chad took me under his wing, uh-huh. made sure I was good, you know? And like when I played ball, like he used to commentate at the tournaments and he called me Baby Jordan. So another person that gave me confidence and affirmed my 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 stature or just affirmed me as a human in, in, in space. Mm-hmm. Like coming of age in the 90s in the Bronx isn't like an easy thing. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not mm. an easy life. But but yeah, they came full circle, and I always thought I have to make a billion dollars doing something else, and then okay, I could have a restaurant as a passion project. But it turns out, be, food being a project, food in the pursuit, and sharing the dialogue and having these conversations with food was a medium that that opened up, opened everything up. That's amazing. So, did you ever go then to culinary school? Do you have kitchen chops? So this all you you're able to create this world around you then. I'm the architect. I put the I put the pieces together, you know, but I do I do have culinary chops. It's for like a a mere mortal. But I I, I look at my skills as somebody that like goes to the park and gets a gym rope, gym running, you know, or like plays a little bit of pickup basketball. Whereas like Pierre and Lester, that's like that's like LeBron, that's Steph. Like these cats, like I could pick up the rock and do my thing, but they got they they they've put in the work for 15 years to be able to really get it done you know that's but amazing. i do think so, i do think i have top five palates on the planet when it comes to tasting food and like oh yeah you're the experience a good when it comes to the experience i've had and just diversity of flavors and like how long i've been eating and trying things i think my palate is is is, is really top tier how did you end up having this connection to the to the art and fashion world, the culture world. Like how did that how did that migration happen for you? I think the secret with me is 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 that and and the reason why ghetto gastro works for someone like me is because I have so many varied interests and I just needed the project that all of my interests could live under, right? So when mm. you think about 
art, design, socio-political matters, Black power, community matters. Like these things all exist within the realm of Ghetto Gastro. And it just started by where, where the friendships lie. Like being in the design world, I overlapped with a lot of the art world. So, and then even beyond that, like growing up, like I always grew up, I didn't realize this until probably I had an interview like a couple, a couple months or maybe a year. And I'm like, damn, I did grow up with black art in the house. Like, even if it was 125th Street, like I remember this portrait that my grandmother had with like Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, and Martin, like in this, like, mm. like coming through the fire. But it was like a beautiful work. And so I always grew up with this imagery, but then my mother, she was, she was wise in how she socialized me. Like, yeah, so I grew up, we were living in public housing, which I also didn't know we lived in public housing and prior to like two, three years ago, but I went to 92nd street Y for after school, right? You know, I went there for summer camp. So I didn't really grow up having this inferiority complex around about or other or because I was other, like feeling less or what have you. I always had like a really good sense of, of confidence in that area. But I, I didn't I didn't think about this until recently. But into my as an adult, I kind of entered the art space through design. A friend of mine, Todd Merrill, I was in Puerto Rico on business. I remember this was like 2008. And my friend Todd Merrill was like, yeah, Yo, you in Puerto Rico, come stop in Miami. I have a booth at Design Miami. I'm like, Design Miami? What the fuck is that? He's like, right. oh, no, nah, it's like this Art Basel thing. And all of these names mean nothing to me. I'm like, Art Basel, right. like, what, 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 like, what are you talking about right now? Like, why? Right. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, come. And I, like me being who I am, loving an adventure, I went and I was like, oh, all right. And so another, I didn't, I, I said I had no choice, but another reason I probably shouldn't admit this, but anger also got me to where I'm going. Like Ooh, anger- I remember going to the 30 American show and the reason mm -hmm. I got invited after Rubel and the reason mm -hmm. I got invited to the 30 American show was because Todd, his best friend from childhood was dating the CEO of Puma at the time. Puma sponsored the exhibition. So we went like with the VIP, like before it opened to the public. And I was amazed, like seeing all of this black artwork. But then I was like the only black person in the room that wasn't an artist. Right. So right. I'm like, right. like, what is this? The gaze bothered me. And coming from like a revolutionary household, and, and I'm like, this this is made by us, but it doesn't feel like it belongs to us. Like, mm. like the, the the ownership in the in the actual artifact, the original artifact, but also the world of art. Because Art Basel in that year, I could count on my like I could probably count on my hands and feet the amount of black and brown people I saw in the spaces, whether it was at the Vanity Fair party, because, you know, I was still doing my thing in fashion, so I was going to be at the Vanity Fair joint getting it in. But I was just like, like at the Raleigh hotels, like in the spaces that were the spaces to be, I just didn't see us represented. So so right. I was like, oh, we got We going to have to change this. This is the area I have to infiltrate. And the same thing happened to me in fashion. Like I, I wasn't a downtown kid growing up, but my cousin Jay Murder and Nemo, shout out to Nemo Labrizi, and Nemo also his pops was an art consultant, art dealer. So periphery, like those, the knowledge, the gem they right. dropped probably seeped into my head um, subconsciously. I wasn't like studying it at the time, but I felt like that when I went to La Esquina the first time. I'm like, oh, this is a new world. I need to come make this my domain and 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 figure it out, and then. 
being able to have leeway and leverage on La Esquina opened up a lot of doors for the fashion because people, PR people needed tables. And I was the person I was able to get them in a La Esquina when nobody could get them in. <laughs> right. So, so right. like so, these type of things. So it's a little counterintuitive. So I want to ask you a follow-up on it. We've all had the encounter, and obviously people of color have this encounter more often than than white people do. And I feel lucky I'm gay, so I, you know, like I do the mm-hmm. count too. You know, like I'm looking around, like how many, how many, how many, la- how many gay ladies are in this room? Like I've been playing that game with myself since I was 13, right? Wanting to figure out whether or not I there was room for me, I could belong in that space. But a lot of people, when they encounter a room where there are not a lot of other people like them, they decide the room is not for them and they leave. You walked into a room where you didn't encounter a lot of a lot of people like you, and that's not your response. Your response is to be like, "I think I'm going to come back here tomorrow and like bring more people." <laughs> like you know what exactly. I mean? So like, so because I'm, I'm like, curious. my people need to see this, right? So what is it? Why? Why? Like why is that your response to the room? Shit, that's a good question. I think I think it's curiosity and also like I said the the levels of confidence that were just instilled in me. And also from being successful in the streets is the stakes are always were, were way high in that atmosphere. Like every day I walked out of the house, I was leaving the house with a 25 to life sentence on. Right. Wow. You also dealing, you also leaving, you, you dealing with the element of the streets. People might want to rob you, kill you, hurt you. You know, you got the police after right. you got enemies after you got to watch out for customers. They might be snitching. It's like all of these things, like, so everything now in my life, it just feels very, it's like the stakes are high, but it's also not as high as facing life in jail or getting my head blown up, you know? So anything compared to that is pretty low. Um, but yeah, for me, I walk in those rooms and I'll be like, yo, I need to bring the, I was always like, even, um, I was like, I, like, I got to bring the homies too. Like, like this, this is something that we need to see. Like we need to, like things are happening that we are unaware of. And, and when I say we, I'm just like my direct circle, right? Because often right. I might be the the discover, like the person to be like, oh, this is what's going on here. All right, bet we need right. to like something. Something needs to, I was like, something needs to change about this room. You know what I mean? Right. So, so, so that that that's kind of always, and I th- I guess I like challenges. Like I, I entered the food game saying that we're not caterers, but we we do food at events, and everybody's like, how's that? You don't have a restaurant, you don't cater. What do you do? Like like it's the it's the right. road less traveled, which is diff- is often a difficult road. Same thing with fashion. I was doing organic cotton, Japanese karaoke denim made in New York with Italian trim. The jeans were way too expensive. But now, now I look at my younger brothers and sisters that are in the space doing a thing, making it pop. Like we're 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 kind of helping define what quote unquote luxury elite fashion is. You know, based on some 100%. of these ideas. So. So the first is not oh, the easiest, but it's necessary. I wonder if we can talk about that not the easiest, because if there's one thing that's really true about food service, that it is hard work. So, you st- so hard. You stand so hard. all day. And like when everybody else is drunk and having a good time, it's time to clean the dishes, man. Like you got to pack you know, up, like, you got to clean, you got to make sure everything. You got to leave the it's, space cleaner than when you found it. You have to clean it before you cook in it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's a kind of constant 
labor and I'm it's hard as hell when you have your own space. When you right. add an element of travel and like right. working in different zones with different people, different purveyors, like other people's spaces, right. like where you don't know the nuances of what's working, what's not working. It's right. a whole other element. I don't know why I like suffering, but I guess I guess <laughs> I'm drawn I guess I'm drawn to uh-huh. it, you know. I can't think of an easy thing I've done in life. <laughs> right. Because the work ethic, I mean, I've always, I used to, when I worked in museums, I watched as people's resumes got kind of, I've worked in museums for 20 years. And in the beginning, you'd see a resume for a young person and it'd have a lot of different kinds of jobs on it. But then at around 10 year mark, 10 years in and things started to get super professionalized in the museum world. Nobody would put their actual J-O-B on a resume. They'd only put like their internship or the classes they took. And I would be looking at these resumes. And finally, I just started asking people, I'm like, have you ever done any restaurant work? Like, have you ever waited tables? And if someone said to me, oh, yeah, you know, like I was a line cook or I was I waited tables at a diner, I would be like, you're hired. <laughs> like, Because it meant I knew they knew how to work. I knew they knew how to do more than one thing at the same time. I knew they understood that shit could get hairy, but that like you had to keep moving. You got to get through it. You got to get, you got to get through it. You know, like you could be in the weeds, but like that doesn't mean that the service is done. You know, you got to keep going. You can't quit. It it doesn't stop. You got to push. Yeah. Right. But I love, I love work. I know that I'm kind of hardwired to work. And I'm curious if you have that too. Like, do you love the, just the, ethic of that kind of work it's uh i'm gonna give you a quote from a movie paid in full um it was about these legendary kind of young like drug dealers in harlem it's based on az rich porter and alpo but um the guy the character in the game's name was mitch and he was talking to he was talking to az when they were just talking about leaving the game he's like man I just love the hustle. He's like, I feel like Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or one of them cats. It takes place in the 80s. Right. He's like, yeah, when I when I leave the game, do you think the fans still going to love me? I just love the hustle. He's like, I just sold it all. I just, like, I've been working since a kid. Like, right. I've always, like, whether it was doing yard work for my aunt, you know, I had little scams that we was running as a kid, like collecting donations, you know what I'm saying? So I've always loved the hustle. And I think the way my brain is wired, even if I'm trying to do something leisurely, right? If I'm like on the beach in Oaxaca or whatever, I'm looking at the patterns at the mountains. Like I'm like, I'm looking at the arrangement of the mountains or I'm looking at the architecture, like at Casa Wabi and thinking, oh, how can this apply to something like like this residency vibe? So the, the brain is always ideating around, around something to do, whether it's a for-profit venture or if it's just a project. I'm, right. I, I think I'm definitely project orientated, you know? Right. I have one more question for you. Um, one of my, I'll give you, like, you just gave me that um, quote from Paid in Full. One of my favorite quotes is from the Velvet Underground. And apparently the first time they sing the song is at the factory and Lou Reed is on stage with the guitar and he says, some people like to go out dancing, but other people like us have to work. So like that moment where the band, I know Damn, that makes cold. so sense because I don't. That makes so much sense because I don't dance much. I've seen you dancing. You have fun in parties. I have a fun time at a party. You know, how, you know, 
You cut a rug, I, you know? I do. But, Thank you. Thank you. That might be the most, that's the biggest compliment I've gotten all year, and I'm going to cherish it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious, so you, you're you in a field where you're working when other people are having a good time. Yeah, it's, it's I think I find, it's it's always a lot of angst for me. I, I have a lot of anxiety. So when people are like, oh, why are you not eating? Why are you not having a good time? I'm like, right. you here to have a good time. I'm here to work, you know? I got to make sure you, you, you having a good time is my work. Um, and also, even when we extend beyond the experiential, right, as we've evolved to become talent or to curate shows or or the, I'm an artist in residence at the Met right now. So like the work, the, the definition of the work has expanded, but it always has an underlying um, the- thesis of nourishment, right? right? Like nourishment is always the goal. So whether it's food for thought or actual food, mm. you know, it's that's that's kind of the vibe and we got our cookbook dropping this for black power kitchen and 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 it's a it's a whole bunch of food in there from great visual art you know a lot of a lot of our friends are in there like Mm -hmm. when you see it you're gonna you i think you'll have an appreciation from the visual artworks the 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 recipes you know recipes for success like interviews with like the thelmas the theasas the kimberly Mm. drews you know so, so just big vibes in there. Like just, just to bring them. Like I said, it's an amalgam of all the shit we, we really, we really fuck with. We like. <laughs> right. So, do you ever just dance at the party? I gotta, I gotta be on a lot. I gotta be on like some mushrooms to, to, right. to, to, to let, to let that freedom tap in where go. I'm less, to where I'm less self conscious. And I probably gotta be in another country to start dancing where I don't know nobody. Like you know, like Fat Joe say, gangsters don't dance. They just pull up their pants and lean back. <laughs> And lean back. That that, got to be how the interview ends right there. (laughs) That's so great. Oh, John, I'm so happy that you came on and that we got to chat. Um, I really, um, I just really appreciate it. And um, I love what you guys do. I can't wait till the cookbook comes out. That's so great. Helen, a.k.a. Lady Molesworth, thanks for having me on the podcast to chop it up, to talk shit, swallow spit, and and to catch a vibe. Okay, you take good care of yourself, okay, baby? All right. All right, Helen. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. If you like this episode, please follow, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you join us here next time.